Get the little ones, sit back, relax, and listen to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Chapter 6 Thirty minutes later, the sleek, powerful black car sat abandoned, deep in shadows down a long alleyway. The streets of the warehouse district of the city's west side were empty now. Only the low-hanging moon kept watch over the two masked figures on the rooftop of a derelict building. The flying squirrel crouched on the ledge and peered intently at the empty warehouse to the north through a tiny yet powerful pair of spyglasses. Her posture was one of deadly motion captured in a still moment. Her gray cat suit clung to her athletic form, her hair spilling out from the back of her cowl. Her silhouette against the moonlight was an image of danger and daring in an unmistakably feminine form. Behind her loomed a tall figure of a man, so stock-still he might have been a statue, an illusion only shattered by the slight motion of his long coat in the wind off the lake to the south. Together they set a perfect tableau of vigilance, which he finally shattered with a single quiet word. "'Anything?' he asked. "'Nada,' she said, folding the spyglasses back into their compact form and returning them to her belt. "'If there's as much as a mouse stirring down there, I can't see hide nor hair of him.' "'This feels wrong,' he said at last. "'You think so?' she smirked. You just pulled off an impossible heist and got away with the baubles of a dozen fine old families. Your average baddie either looks for a fence or a party or both. And I don't think either are going to be found in this rat emporium. Of course, your average criminal could never possibly pull off a job with this level of finesse, he countered. Right. But if he's that talented, you'd think he'd have a better hideout. He nodded and said nothing for the moment. "'Any chance they found your radio transmitter?' she asked. "'There's always a chance,' he said, "'but it's only been a few hours, "'and even if they'd found it, "'I don't know how they'd have known what it was "'unless they expected to find it.' "'We're probably making too much of this,' she said, "'drawing herself up to her full height. "'Still standing on the ledge, she faced him eye to eye, "'which made her dizzy in ways that their precarious perch never could. "'They probably hid the swag here until the heat died down.' "'Probably,' he nodded. You really think so? She smiled, her head tilted ever so slightly to the side. The red panda grinned. No, he said. That did sound a little too good to be true, didn't it? She said, reaching up and pulling down the flight goggles that were on the top of her head. What do you say I take the high road and you take the low road? Ah, he said, pulling a gravel gun from his belt and aiming it across the open space. Such strategy. Napoleon himself would tell you to stuff a sock in it, she sassed. In a single smooth motion, she turned neatly in place, lifted her arms high to each side, and made a gesture with her hands that tripped a mechanism within her costume. Before he could pull the trigger to fire his grapple, she threw herself gracefully off the rooftop, just as the retractable gliding membranes built into her costume slid forth, filling the space between her hand and foot on each side with a tough, lightweight filament. With the ease that comes only of long practice, she caught the wind as she fell and turned the motion into a slow, silent glide through the open space to the rooftop of the warehouse beyond. As she neared her target, she pulled her feet forward, 
pointed them at the roof, and instantly made another motion within the gauntlets of her costume. There was a sudden spark that flew forth as she fired the remarkable static shoes which her partner had invented. Created originally to hold them to sheer surfaces with the power of static electricity, they had learned to use them with finesse in a variety of situations. In this case, she sent a wave of opposing power from the soles of her feet, not strong enough to repel her from the roof, but enough to slow her descent and allow her to land noiselessly. An instant later, she was across the rooftop and through the access door. She rolled in and along the catwalk in a double somersault and came up in an on-guard stance with a red boomerang in one hand and a throwing star in the other. For an instant, she was totally still as her eyes adjusted to the pitch darkness, and she waited for any noise, any motion. Nothing. She slid the throwing weapons back into her belt. If this were a bushwhack, there'd have been someone at that door... She listened intently for sound from below. There was nothing. She smiled. If the boss were rushing the building, silence is what you might expect to hear, at least until he found someone. Then there was usually an unholy ruckus. Maybe they had been wrong about this after all. Quickly and quietly she padded along the catwalk and down the metal steps that led to the warehouse's second floor. She paused and adjusted a ring outside her glove on the right hand. The Red Panda had tuned her radio ring to the frequency of the miniature transmitter, and it was registering a strong signal from the building's east end. The Flying Squirrel raced forward, watching both sides as she ran. There was no sound and no sign of life. Her heart almost jumped into her mouth when there was suddenly a motion right beside her, and she flipped back effortlessly, head over heels, to give herself room to react. An instant before she threw the first of what would have been a long and painful series of kicks, she realized it was him. She froze in her stance, slightly embarrassed, her heart still pounding hard. "'Hello,' he said quietly. "'Hi,' she whispered. "'All clear?' She nodded and pointed towards the door at the end of the passage. It seemed to lead to a small office space, probably once used by a foreman. The smoked glass in the door was now broken and the open space filled in with cobwebs. She glanced at her radio ring. "'Gotta be in there,' she whispered. The Red Panda glanced at his own tracker and nodded. She peered through the cobwebs. There was clearly no one in the office. "'Doesn't look like anyone's been in there for months,' she hissed. "'No,' he agreed. "'It doesn't. "'But one way or another, someone must have opened that door in the last few hours. "'Which means someone went to a lot of trouble to make it look like nobody had opened that door in months,' she said." the sideways grimace returning to her mouth. "'Which is the sort of thing you'd do if you wanted to make us feel safe opening the door,' the Red Panda added. "'And I can only think of one good reason for that.' She nodded to a small window twenty feet away. "'That one okay with you?' she asked. "'For the inevitable dramatic exit?' "'Fine,' he agreed." She pulled a small metal ball from a pouch on her belt and threw it carelessly through the cobwebs into the office. A second later they heard the first hiss of a fuse as the motion detector was tripped, and they raced as one for the window she had indicated. An instant later the office tore itself apart in flames, and the shock waves brought the derelict warehouse down in moments. The death trap was brutal and massive in scale, consuming the entire building and threatening the block with its flames. A chaos of sirens descended upon the quiet streets, and of the two masked heroes, 
there was not a single sign. Classical and brand new audio dramas through the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio today. There's eight different podcasts, one for each day of the week and genre. And the Mutual Audio Network broadcast feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.